WCBN FM and Arbor. Good afternoon. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers. I'm pleased to have Kelly Link in the studio today. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you. It's my pleasure. It's great to see you. <laughs> You've made it through the Arctic polar tundra. I made it to the Arctic. It's what it feels like. It is cold. It's, it's, and it's February 20th. I should say we're taping this program February 20th, 2015, <laughs> for the time capsule, Kelly. All right. <laughs> And you're on book tour right now for Get in Trouble, your latest collection. I am at the end of the book tour, so I'm feeling um, happy, comma, tired. (laughs) It must be pretty exhilarating to go to different, because you've been across the country and now back to the cold. Well, I I got to go out and do a lot of readings at West Coast bookstores that I haven't been to in a long time. And then tonight I get to read at Literati, which I've never been to. Oh, you're going to love it. really exciting. You're going to love it there. It's a good, I shouldn't be too, sound too proud of it, but we're really, I'm really proud, glad that it's in our, our little city of Ann Arbor. It's a great bookshop. Well, all the bookstores that I'm going to, it's one that my husband is most jealous about because He's been reading about it now for a while, and he really wants to see it. Oh, well, well that'll be great. Well, let's do it. Maybe he can Skype in or something. I'm going to browse for him. I'm going to do some browsing. <laughs> well, shout out to Hillary and Mike out there, and John and Russ and all the, all the gang. But Kelly, without further ado, I'm going to read the bio in the back of Get in Trouble. Kelly Link is the author of the collections Stranger Things Happen, Magic for Beginners, and Pretty Monsters. She and Gavin J. Grant have co-edited a number of anthologies, including multiple volumes of the year's best fantasy and horror, and, for young adults, Monstrous Affections. She is the co-founder of Small Beer Press. Her short stories have been published in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, the Best American Short Stories, and Prize Stories, the O. Henry Awards. She has received a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts. Link was born in Miami, Florida. She currently lives with her husband, Gavin, and daughter in Northampton, Massachusetts. You can check out more on kellylink.net. I know I have. (laughs) 
<laughs> and before I forget, uh, uh, thanks to Henley Cox at Random House who um, who sent the books. Oh, and that's awesome. So, um, that was I'm so glad that Henley, uh, yeah, thought of living writers and <laughs> coming to town. Um, so yeah, so it's exciting. We have um, Get in Trouble and Magic for Beginners on the table with us today. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about I don't know like your your should we go in the way back machine to your early life like we you've got Miami Florida in the bio Kelly mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's not something that you're trying to hide <laughs> these, these Florida roots of yours South Florida <laughs> um, I, I should say that I my family's in Florida so that's All why right. I'm, I'm <laughs> so love the manatees and that and alligators, alligators and crocodile because yeah. they're kind of coming together there yeah, in Miami they, now, yeah, aren't absolutely. they? Which will be again more interesting it's stuff just fun for Florida. You, you look in the canal and you think, is that an alligator or a crocodile? It's yeah. so fun <laughs> as you're canoeing by right. with your your dog and child in the canoe. Yes. <laughs> I've seen people do it, and I just think, wow, oh, man, people wow. are brave or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my my dad grew up in in Miami in Coral Gables, and then when I was a kid, we moved back there so he could get a PhD in um, psychology from the University of Miami. And then I lived there for about seven years, and then my parents split up and I moved to North Carolina. Oh, to North Carolina, where yeah. every, everyone always says, Thank you. Thank yes, you. They do. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's like often a thank you off, isn't there? And <laughs> y'all, and thank you. And then if you really don't like somebody, but you're talking about them, you will say something really horrible about them, and then you say, bless their heart. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Man. Well, well, I don't... Well, that's interesting, because I'm trying to page through my, my memory here, but with Get in Trouble, I don't feel like we're we're touched by the worlds of Florida or North Carolina so much, because we're sort of in these... We're in... Uh, unnamed places. <laughs> mostly, mostly in unnamed places. There are... Two stories where I really pulled a lot of stuff from from Florida, um, just because uh, I visited a friend down there who lived on the Keys and oh, what her her yard and I think all of the Keys are overrun with iguanas, which I sort of was I love iguanas and I was but apparently they're a pest and they're well especially as they keep growing too because yes. they seem to be thriving they really thrive they thrive big time right there in that. Because I, I don't think it's their natural habitat, so they're able to kind of win out and take over. Don't worry, listeners, we're going to get to <laughs> Kelly Link's amazing <laughs> fantasy sort of stories. I won't keep trying to talk about Florida. No, but but then that, that did go into a story just because it was it really felt um, it made Florida seem like a fantastical landscape to look out and hear a bunch of iguanas hanging out in her yard eating hibiscus flowers. Or sort of like on a, almost in a menacing way, sort of just above your head in some branch <laughs> that doesn't look necessarily strong. No, but, yeah. they're, they're heavy. They I used are. to catch them when I was a kid. Yeah. Oh, and the, did the tails come off? And then... Well, then if you catch anoles, the tails come off. But iguanas, you have to watch the tail because they can break your arm if they swing it at you. The tails are super strong, so you have to sort of immobilize them. And then what do you do when you catch them? Eventually you have to let them go. Can't really, you know, it's not like you can let them loose in the house because they're huge. <laughs> right, right, right. I actually lived with a pet iguana once in Seattle. Oh, and my right. friend Leslie oh. had one that um, that grew up and I moved out before it got 
too big, um, which was for the best, I think, because uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it, it, but it's, but what's what I love is that you're seeing these real life moments, and then you really, you transform it, and you kind of take it and run with it, Kelly. Yeah. And is that that's that like when did you start? I saw in the acknowledgments. Let me say this: in get in trouble, I think to a friend of yours, Sean, you said. Thanks for suggesting that I write a different kind of story. And I didn't know at what point the suggestion was made, but it interested me because I thought, was this a long time ago? Because your stories seem like different kinds of stories. Kelly. Well, it, weirdly, this was the, the opposite. This was a recent conversation where I was talking about this collection and I was thinking about writing one more story. Was that the lesson? The, that was a lesson. Okay. And um, I said, I... I feel like I could do one more thing. It feels like it would really round off the collection. And my friend said, well, you know, the advice that I would give you is to do something really different from the other stories in the book. And so I thought that that seems about right. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a story called The Lesson, which is about a, a couple who are um, worried about uh, their surrogate who may be giving birth very, very early they are um, on an island for a destination wedding. And when I started writing the story, I thought, well, I'm not going to put anything fantastic in this story at all. And I did. I put one thing in it that's not realistic. And why did you do that? I couldn't resist. I, I had to come up with a taxidermied animal. Uh, and I, I thought, well, I could make it a badger or it could be a raccoon. I, thought, I don't like any of those. That doesn't feel right. So I invented an animal, and I thought, this is really cheating. I said I wasn't going to do this, but it was really fun. But it's also part of something, then. It's also this this, this, this little bit that's like, a, not a signature, but it's something where you're, it's undeniably Kelly Link, maybe. <laughs> like, well, when I, when, I, when I went back, I thought, well, if I have to, I can... I can change it. I can make it a you know a Wolverine or something. But oh, a Wolverine! That would have been that would have been scary. <laughs> but um, <laughs> then I read this story and I thought, no, this this it seems okay. I broke the rule, but I I what came out was good enough that it's okay that I broke the rule. Yeah. Well, I love that that it's the kind of story that has taxidermy in it anyway. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> and that part of the story is based on a real life story that my sister told me about a friend of hers who went to a wedding and was uh, staying in a and b There was some taxidermy in the room, and she kept on hearing these noises the first night. Second night, she turned on the light and discovered what was making the noises, and it was an infestation of beetles that was flooding out of one of the pieces of taxidermy in her room. So that's a case of, like, real life being super Weird. disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and my sister told me that story. I said... What did she do? And my sister said, I don't know. Right, right, <laughs> right. That story haunted me for years. <laughs> and so it finds its way into the yeah. material, doesn't mm -hmm. it? Because it's in your subconscious. Yeah. And you sometimes, is that what happens? Like, is something, you'll just alight on something and pull it as you're writing, as you're already writing the story. Is on its way. I Well, I think there, there are things that as I'm writing... I sort of pull in. I think, oh, that would be useful or that would be interesting. And then there are the kind of things like that story that my sister told me that I sit on for years and years. There's another story that a friend told me once about um, she, uh, by accident, ended up dating a string of cellists all in a row. Just everybody that she went out with turned out to be a cellist, which was really strange. And so I put that in a story at one point. And I do ask people 
if I can put stuff in stories before I before I do it because it would be rude, you know, not to do it, not not really? to ask. But you do ask. Oh, I do. Even ask. this friend with the cellist. Yeah, yeah. And she gave me permission, and then I think she was a little unhappy later on, actually. Although I think everybody else is fine, and sometimes I'm borrowing details from uh, things that writers tell me, and then I tell them stories, and they say, well, can I use that? So it's right. a lot of swapping. It's like a swap meet. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Have you been to a swap meet? I have been to a lot of yard sales. I've never been to a swap meet, That's but I have gone to parties where people are, you know, white elephant type parties. Um, yeah. Everybody brings shoes or something. Huh. Which is tragic for me because I'm size 11 shoe. <laughs> <laughs> what shoes did you walk away with then, Kelly? I didn't walk away with any because everybody else was nine and a half. Darn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My mom could have, you guys could have been at the oh. same swap meet. She's, um, yeah. Anyway, I don't know. Shoes, shoes. So, Kelly, what, um, how did you decide, um, like, the... To, to lead with the summer people because the chronology of the stories because um, these are stories from would you say maybe how long have some of these stories been in your story box well the these are stories that I wrote over about 10 years um, the earliest story in there is secret identity um, no sorry the earliest story is origin story and then the summer people is is uh, the third story that I, I wrote uh, in in terms of sequence. And Summer People just felt like a nice, easy introduction. Um, it seems to be a story that people like, which sounds weird, you know? I kind of hope they like all the stories, but it was a story that made people sort of feel good about moving into the next story. And some of the stories in the book are ghost stories and I think they didn't want to put a ghost story right at the beginning and sort of scare people off so to speak so were you so were you talking with your your editor yes. about the arrangement of the stories and what should go yes first? um and even when we even when I submitted the collection my agent did first she and I discussed order and I think the summer people was probably always you know seemed like a good fit for the first story well the characters are really engaging you really start to you're sort of charmed by fran but it was sad too though that's yeah. the thing it's like when you said it's easy i was like no it's not <laughs> kelly link <laughs> well i don't know are there any are there any i i maybe i shouldn't say this on the radio because people think well why do i read why do i want to read this book but not actually a lot of stories in here i think in which you feel good about the futures of the people involved right <laughs> Yeah. Do you think that's part of the nature of the short story and the tension in it, or maybe it may be actually part of the nature of the ghost story for sure? Um, and you know, I will say this: that there are stories in here about adolescents, a lot of adolescent girls, and then there are some stories about middle-aged people. And on the whole, you know, as the writer, I kind of feel much better about the position that the 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 sort of coming-of-age stories, because I think, well. All this stuff happened, and maybe they're they're sixteen or eighteen. And maybe by the time they're twenty five, they will be fine. I'm pretty sure they'll they'll figure stuff out by then. And the characters who are forty or We're fifty, not so I think, sure about the demon lover. Right? No, no, like no. The, I think you know this is. Are you sure you want to do that? This is probably your last chance to sort of get yourself straight. Yeah. yeah. We're gonna take a short break today on Living Writers. Kelly Link is here with her latest collection, Get in Trouble. 
just out February 3rd with Random House. Go get your copy. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back. you're just tuning in glad you did you've got living writers i'm t hetzel today kelly link is here we've got her latest collection of short stories get in trouble on the table with us um and and kelly you you um what's the word i'm looking for not traveling you not deal in short stories you are a short traffic that's the word (laughs) thank you (laughs) oh my goodness late late on a friday Uh, you traffic in short stories. Um, have you like when did your love of the short story your when did your relationship with the short story begin? Pretty early. Um my mom and my dad read me a lot of books before I could read, including Tolkien, um and C. S. Lewis. Uh and then when I learned how to read and started going to the library, somehow I ended up in the section that had lots of anthologies of ghost stories. Just, Which I really, really, really loved. Sort of lie awake at night and read them and get super scared. And, but you, then, and you would get super scared. Oh, yeah. But there yeah, was absolutely. something about the ghost story. Yeah, that I just really liked. M.R. James and Lovecraft and then just oh. tons of ghost stories. Yeah. any any I love any ghost story. And this would be like when you were even under 10, you're yes. saying. Mm-hmm. So really formative and early for your imagination. Yeah. When did you start writing your own stories? And were they also like ghost stories or like or like the Tolkien, like the fan or what was it like for you as a young writer? I um, didn't write a story, anything that felt like a story until I was in college and went to a workshop really? uh, and then had to turn in a story, sort of signed up for the workshop, thought this will be interesting. And then, you know, he said to us. Well, now you you know I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a deadline. Uh, each of you is gonna turn in a story over the course of the semester, and then like, my deadline came. And I thought, I guess I have to do this, <laughs> and I did. I wrote a ghost story, uh, the first story that I wrote. Um, and Dude, what was it? Like what? Was... It was a haunted lighthouse story. There may have been some incest in it. I think there was a and there was a boy named Holly. Which is a little weird because my sister's name is Holly, and now I've said there's incest in it. But 
I just I really like the idea of Holly as a name for a boy. Yeah. yeah. So already doing something that's like uh, the unexpected or sort of or resisting, like how you put the um, the, the the made up character. Yeah, in pointing the people, or, pointing or, people in slightly the wrong direction. I mean, I think that's what you do if you have a boy and you name him Holly. People at first think, well. Is it a girl? It's it's a girl. And then you think, oh, no, wait, it's a boy. Sorry, you're sort of miscuing the reader a little bit. Yes. I think that um, that blurring happened in um, uh, maybe Valley of the Girls for me as well. I don't know if you were trying. It was just me. <laughs> but I felt sort of sometimes I didn't I felt unsure of the gender. But then it's like the rest of the boys are on you know, have gone to the moon or something, but why would you, I need to go there to party. There's enough. Yeah. Or, but so then I was like, okay, so it's, the, but then still I, there were moments where I felt maybe this Holly Holly thing happen of miscues or misdirection. And this, I mean, I teach a lot of writing and this is one of the things that you talk about in workshop is people come in and they will, it's very useful for somebody to say in workshop, here are the things I didn't understand about a story. Mm. Um, and and often it will be well. I thought your I thought your protagonist, the narrator, was a girl until page three. So don't ask me why I like doing it because okay. in workshop it's something that you point out. But I think that um, and that story, Valley of the Girls, the the narrator never tells you his name. In fact, there's not really there's a there's a cartouche with a blank space in it. Right. Yeah. It's a oh, cartouche. Yes. That's what that is. A cartouche. Thank yeah. you. Okay. Learning. <laughs> I like that word. It's a great <laughs> word. And was that um, how did that become part of the story? Oh, and how would we describe it for listeners who, like myself, might have not known? <laughs> Maybe everybody else out there knows. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll describe the story and also what the cartouche is. So, uh, so the story is about um, set a little bit in the future, and it's about. Very, very, very rich kids who, in fact, have so much money that instead of having sort of coming out parties, the girls, in fact, um, build have pyramids built um, and sort of compete with each other to see who has the fanciest pyramid. This is a great idea. <laughs> I mean, of yours, not for people to do in real well, life. Well, yeah. But... Well, I don't know. It'd be kind of cool if people did it. But <laughs> well, the, the archaeologists <laughs> yes. were pointing out how it would be interesting it would to be useful, learn about right? yeah. <laughs> people. And the, the boys do things like collect antique rockets and then go to the moon in them. Um, and shout out to NASA. <laughs> <laughs> and then because the, because the girls are really into Egyptology, whatever, you know, they... Um, they uh, take take on sort of they they collect all sorts of things, but um, they also put cartouches, which are fancy little boxes, around their names. And I thought for the story, I thought well, it would be even better if I was using characters rather than English letters. And I thought, but then that would be really too much of a burden for the for the for reader. printing and yeah, the, oh, and for the reader maybe to, to distinguish tell some them. of them. Yeah. yeah. So you have to imagine that probably the girls are using characters rather than English letters. And ah. This is a courtesy that I've left it in English. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly Link. <laughs> oh, you're very welcome. <laughs> but you, but so the the character has an. So this is only one of the layers of of um, identity in this particular story, the Valley of the Girls, because this is left blank for mm -hmm. the main character. The um, or not well the. The yeah, the, the, main the main character. He is the main character. Um, but then there's the faces. There's that a we secondary layer. Yeah, absolutely. So they, um, the kids spend money this way, and the parents, uh, you know, have concerns. I think about uh, celebrity culture or just the visibility of 
the fact that they are so visible because they are so very rich. And so they hire people to be their children um, in sort of public settings um, or wherever there's any chance that there's a camera. Um, so there are these these sort of um, doppelgangers of all of the kids. And in fact, the real kids themselves have been sort of wired up so they don't appear on, on, on cameras. Kind of like vampires, I guess. Yeah. And this is very... And there's tracers that they Yes. Are. So yeah, they've been tagged, basically. So were they to be kidnapped, they would be easy to, to find, etc. And part of this is so that the kids themselves don't do anything really dumb that becomes sort of a news story. And it's also partially to protect them so that when they go off to college, they will sort of start with a clean slate with ever, without ever having said anything offensive in a public setting or done something or been arrested. Instead, they have these, these faces who have been them for, for most of their, their lives. But it's it's so complicated because it's and yeah. interesting that how you're explaining it because then one of the people then re renews that so that after at age eighteen they continue on as their face and that makes you think, you know, well then are people ever really are they there then yeah the person that and this is why a, the the narrator never gives his name yeah I kind of imagine that this was the first generation of kids where there was the technology and sort of the. I guess the 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 sort of movement to use use faces, and so at the end of the story, one girl is like, "Why would I ever give up my face? You know, why why shouldn't I be a private person?" Right, right. And then, do you think? Yeah, I guess because it's interesting. These it, it, how maybe hats off to also your love for Ray Bradbury too, yeah. um, because in a way how you've constructed and built these stories or these places, um, you do sort of feel like, oh, this is realistic as happening. I really, I do really love Ray Bradbury. And my hope is always that the experience of reading these stories, even if they are weird or even if sort of the buy-in is, you have to think, well, I've, I'm going to put this together over a little space of time. So the stories are, are funny enough or scary enough that you think, I may have to work a little bit to figure this out, but it's it's fun. It's fun work. Yeah. Thanks. It is Kelly. Oh. It is. <laughs> I was fishing for a compliment, I guess. <laughs> no. It's the, it's the Miami, Florida. It's a, that's coming out now here, right? The fishing. Okay. Yeah. Well, today in the studio, Kelly Link is here. Her latest collection of short stories, Get in Trouble. Um, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. i 
Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Kelly Link is here. We've got the Liz behind the glass engineering. Woo, woo. And, you know, before we start, well, actually, Kelly, thanks for picking the songs for today's show. Oh, my pleasure. These are, uh, this is a lot of music that I listen to when I'm working. And so the voice, like the lyrics don't, don't necessarily, they can maybe add, not bother. I feel that they add. I um, the only thing I have an issue with is if I feel like the lyrics. If I like the music but the lyrics are lame, mm-hmm. then I start to feel grumpy as I'm working. I'm like, that was a terrible lyric, and then I'm distracted. <laughs> but if the lyrics are great or interesting, uh, then I can keep on working. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. That's and um, is it sort of mood or does it not matter? Like, do you ever pick a certain song because, or maybe Nico Case, for example, would you put on? Nico Case, because you want something maybe plaintive or a little, or... Yeah, sometimes. Um, Mostly I I keep it on random, and the one mood sort of thing is I listen to the same playlists as I work on the same story over and over again, and so something about having all of those songs coming back, even at random intervals, helps keep the mood of the story. That is interesting, that there is a playlist for each story. Yeah. Do you keep, do you name them? No. And so, in fact, as I move on to stories, I sometimes keep some of the music, but I'll add new stuff or take stuff off. And maybe those stories end up next to each other yes, in, probably, in the world. They probably do, actually. <laughs> that would be interesting. That could be an, another appendix project, that you absolutely. add your playlist to the back of the... Well, now um, that you say that, I think what I will do next time is I will just name all of the playlists rather than having this one morphing playlist. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and keep a history of it. Yes. <laughs> um, Kelly, would you mind reading something from one of the stories and get in trouble so we could get a sense of the sure. prose? Yeah, and- my pleasure. Um, I will read from the start of a story called The New Boyfriend. Ainsley doesn't rip open presents. She's always been careful with her things, even the things that don't matter. Emmy is a ripper, but this is not Emmy's present, not Emmy's birthday. Sometimes Emmy thinks that this may not be Emmy's life. Better luck next time around, Emmy, she tells herself. Ainsley scores under the tape with a fingernail, then carefully teases the pink wrapping paper out from under the coffin-shaped box. Ainsley's new boyfriend is in there. Ainsley's birthday this year is just Ainsley and her bestest, oldest friends, just Ainsley, Skye, Ellen, and Emmy. No family allowed, no boys. Earlier, there was sushi and cake and lots of pictures to put up online so that everyone will know how much fun they are having. No presents, Ainsley said, but of course, Emmy and Ellen and Sky bring presents. No one ever really means it when they say that. Not even Ainsley, who already has everything. It's normal to want to give your best friend something because you love her, because you want her to know that you love her. It isn't a competition. Ainsley loves Ellen and Emmy and Skye equally, even if Emmy and Ainsley have been friends longest. Emmy's heart isn't as big as Ainsley's heart. Emmy loves Ainsley best. She also hates her best. She's had a lot of practice at both. Talk about getting girl culture down. (laughs) (laughs) Although I don't know. I always think, I bet boys feel the exact same way this way. I bet they have super complicated feelings about their friends 
you yeah. know i've i've yeah it must do yeah. right because we're all people are just like that i just i my 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 brother has been friends with the same guy best friends for most of his life they met in i think they met in daycare actually mm. um and you know they are best friends but i'm sure they also fought like cats and dogs right yeah you can't help it with that with those types of intimacies and expectations and yeah. and learning about the borders of self really too absolutely and then you know you change as you get older and then you think why is my friend not interested in the things that I'm still interested in you know why doesn't he want to play why does he want to go out why doesn't he want to stay home and play video games with me you know yeah and girls too like all of that so why why the young because so you, you mentioned that it does feel like in the stories there's these these the younger adolescents or so and then the middle age why like why do you why are you trafficking in that no that's actually no let me strike that because that, that sounds really not at all what i meant what why do you think this happened in this collection though and with with in, the with for the, the new teenager the, yeah well um for one thing, I still read a ton of YA. I worked in a kid's bookstore for years, um, read lots and lots of books while I was in the store. I still read it. And when I'm home and when they're home, I work with two young adult writers, Holly Black and Cassandra Clare. So we meet up in coffee shops or we meet up at each other's houses and we all work on whatever we're working on. And then we look at each other's work and we, we talk about um, things that we want to do or problems that we're having. And that's your writing group. That's then. my, it is my writing group. Yeah. It's like my office. Yeah. So I, I, I think that um, I can't tell you if it's because of the community that I work in or if it's just that I really love the stories. I think probably both of those. And it's also that um there is something very universal about coming of age stories or about adolescent stories about people who are um, right on right on the verge of becoming adults. Um, I think that's a really intense period of life. Um, even when you are much, much older, you still remember what it felt like. And so when you read a story, a coming of age story, you think, oh, my God, you know, I remember that. That's that's I remember that feeling that was terrible or that was awesome right but it's a very strong it's a period of very strong emotions and of change too yeah. so there's it's so it's you're setting the story in this moment of that's sort of roiling something yeah which is really a great place to set a story yeah how why well because you feel that anything is possible you know i with a in a in a story in which the characters themselves are not quite sure who they want to be or what they should be doing or what their relationships with their friends are like, you know, there are a lot of story possibilities there. And I think that there is a, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a kind of story in which you can very naturally introduce the fantastic because that, that period feels almost supernaturally charged anyway. Right. Cause in, um, let's see the, is it secret identity um, where there's people who are superheroes, yes. like just as a real life thing, <laughs> you have the sense that they are, there's like, there's like this electrical force field around some of them, like that they're, they're wavering or something. 
And but that's sort of like almost if you look at a middle school cafeteria, you kind of see that around. See those electrical charges. Yeah. (laughs) You think (laughs) that looks like a lot of trouble. Yeah, this is why there are a lot of teachers in my family. And this is I just think that just seems very volatile. (laughs) But I love how you say like introduce because that's what I was also wondering, the element of fantasy to it, because if anything is possible then why not? Right. And I, I, I love stories. I love stories about monsters. And I think that there is, you know, this this sense when you are an adolescent, you think if I accidentally do the wrong thing or what if what if I do the wrong thing and it is a monstrous thing or what if the thing that I'm going to be turns out to be monstrous? What do people see when they look at me? Do they see a monster? I think it's a really common feeling that you have. Or you look at other people and you think those people are monsters. They are tormenting me. All of those are feelings that you have. And so then to write it where there's actually a literal monster yeah, makes sense. Which is fun. And then I think, but you also still have to have then other teenage characters who still sort of, who aren't monsters, but who take on monstrous qualities. And I don't mean supernatural monstrous qualities. I just mean they are mean or they're, they do pretty extraordinary things. Or we're going to take all these photos at the birthday party to prove what yes. a good time we're having, which is something that's just like, that's happening. Yeah. So you're incorporating these very true things or, uh, that are actually relatively new phenomena as well. <laughs> right? But from the true, but the world of the true. Yeah. Yeah. Into these groups. Of kids and these stories, these places. Um, how do, so ghosts too. What's the, why do you think that's, uh, that element of story is something that you also love and that you started out loving when you were young? Is it because, is it something about the, the, the unknown I do. I mean, I, I like, I like one of the things I like about ghost stories is, or the kind of ghost stories or people, you know, I guess you'd call them stories of the uncanny is that things are not necessarily explained. You know, you, you get sort of maybe some possible reasons for what's going on. But the main thing is mostly just that there is something really awful, you know, in the backdrop. I think of like, um, Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House, in which, you know, that house is a monster, and maybe there's some explanation for it, but the real point is just, you know, that that, that house is sort of exerting a kind of power over the characters so is in the that, story. Is that one of the stories you read when you were younger, the Shirley Jackson, like the lottery, like those, the, but you found them before we were introduced to them, let's say, in like an American literature class or so? I don't know. I... I I think that I probably read some Shirley Jackson stories in anthologies um, first, first, you know, that was my first exposure. And then at some point, I think I'd heard people talking about The Haunting of Hill House and how great it was. And I thought, well, sounds like a ghost story. I bet I will like it. And I really, really loved it. But I, I don't actually know when I read it. I've read it a ton since then. Oh, and it's one yeah. you return to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And is it that experience where then you see different things in it each time you come to it, or there's something that's f- comforting and that? I I, you, I mean I really I love her it. I love her language. I think that that opening paragraph is just a gorgeous paragraph. 
Do you know it by heart? No, but it's um, you know it's sort of a description of the way that that the the angles don't really meet quite straight. Um, and then I, the closing line of the first uh, paragraph is something about whatever walked there walked alone. Um, and then when you get to the end of the novel, they sort of she pulls you back to that um, first paragraph again and duplicates it. Maybe not entirely, but a big a big piece of it. Huh. So this not eternal return, but something yeah. that. And I know that the first paragraph, um, she talks about how no living organism can, uh, you know, remain forever and stay sane and kind of suggests that the house has gone insane. This is a creepy idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, right. Because what if you end up in one of those houses? But I guess that's those are all the stories, right? The what if. Well, last last night, um, I stayed with a friend in San Francisco. And was there a ghost? Well, not a ghost, but it, it was a beautiful house, really incredible view. But it turned out that she um, ended up that she had to be somewhere else that night. So she stayed for a while and she said, so I'm going to leave you here on your own. I thought I'm going to be left in this amazing house in San Francisco. But five seconds after she left the house a fire alarm battery started dying and beeped every minute um, for the entire night. And I couldn't find which fire. I, I looked at all of the, all of the smoke sensors, could not find it. And I was, I was a little freaked out. I thought the house is really angry. You know, the house has no idea who I am and the owner just left and the house is, you know, it's clearly feels a little hostile towards me. Or else it would have started beeping before she left. <laughs> right, right. Like the timing was so precise. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is uncanny, isn't yeah. it? So, okay. So then that could be, so part of it is like, oh, well, it's coincidence, Kelly, isn't yes. it? But then part of it is also like, oh, but then we're all in this together, is it? You know? Well, I think that's the thing about ghost stories is, is, I don't actually believe in ghosts, but you start to make up a story about something when it happens. You're like, why is the house making that noise at me? Of course, the house is not doing it. It's a battery, but you feel personally threatened. Yes. Yeah. And making up stories to understand it somehow. Yeah. Yep. So you haven't had any real life ghost stories then? Because you're saying you don't believe in. Well, I. it's not that I don't necessarily believe in them. But when I tell you that story about the alarm, I didn't actually think at the time well, the house is haunted. What I thought is, this is really spooky to be here, sort of standing on chairs, sort of staring up at these these smoke sensors right. and hearing this this beeping, which I can't actually locate in a house that I don't know. And it's dark outside and there are lots of windows. Right. It's not the sort of San Francisco evening you've had envisioned. No. Although the bed was very comfortable. Well, <laughs> When when do you write, Kelly? Are you sort of a person that writes uh, at any at any chunk of time, like like within a notebook or? No, I I write on my laptop. Um, I really I I don't write every day. I really hate a lot of I hate a lot of the part of I hate most of writing a story. So I do as many things as I can to avoid writing um, until a certain point when I'm far enough into a story that it becomes fun. And suddenly I think, I don't hate this anymore. This is kind of fun. This is great. And then that'll last for two or three days. And then I think, 
Oh, I finished this story. That was awesome. But then the next story, when I sit down and write, I think this is terrible. I hate this. I don't want to do this. So. And does it take a while to sit down again? Or do yes. you sort of. <laughs> it takes quite. Unless I have a, a pressing deadline, it, it I will put it off as long as I can for months. And then before, is it something where. But then you start becoming off kilter. So you're more off kilter without the doing of it than you are once it actually, than the dread of the starting of it? Well, part of it is that, you know, my husband and I run a small press. So, oh, the small beer press. And a lot of the time I'm teaching. So there are many, many, and then there are the, dishes and laundry and I have a six-year-old. So many, many other things that I could be doing. I could be on Twitter. I could be on Tumblr. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Activities. Yeah. Things that need to be done to you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just... Um, in front of I need the, to read the internet. Yeah, yeah. the whole thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what did they have up there yesterday? The whole exactly. thing. <laughs> no. Where are the unicorns? You mean right? online? Well, <laughs> there are tons, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so many. Yes. But I like how there's also a unicorn in your story oh. too. So I think that's also Valley of the Girl. No, mm. it is. It is, it it is okay. Valley of the Girls. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Flitted in. Okay, we're going to take a short break. Today on Living Writers, Kelly Link is here. Get in trouble is the, is the, the advice of the day. <laughs> Get into <laughs> trouble. Um, I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Kelly Link is here, and we've got the the Liz Engineering. And um, Kelly was just writing a little bit to leave on the tablecloth here, or it's not even really a tablecloth. It's like it is the table. It is a cloth. It has a sort of skin-like quality to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> little little oily, but in a in a pleasant way. But it feels like it's something beyond, doesn't it? <laughs> it I think it's absorbed a lot of um, people <laughs> <laughs> through the years. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We, it's a good it's a good place yeah this, it's a good place and I, and I love how you were like it feels like I'm not writing on this I'm giving this a tattoo <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a little it's it's got um it has pores absolutely it's a, it's a live yeah. thing <laughs> now I feel spooked slightly <laughs> thanks Kelly you're welcome because <laughs> I'm gonna be sitting with this table for knock on wood uh-huh. quite some time to come here but you get to go back to Massachusetts. I hope your house is all right, like with the snow and everything. The anyway, Northampton is, is is mostly okay. okay. Whereas you know, in Boston, the mayor is begging people not to jump off of the roofs and the snowbanks. Yeah, so I guess things are pretty dire. People are like, we're bored and stir crazy, and there's a lot of snow, and I'm just going to jump out my window no, into that snowbank. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> oh, no, dig out another car. Make another parking uh-huh. spot. That, yeah, <laughs> things that we don't want to have to do, right? Okay. Yeah. So you, I, I noticed also that um, you had astrology reading done. I did. did. Was that the first one you've ever had or is it something that because we also have magic for beginners and we have and not that um but then there's something about stars and there's a a lovely line in one of the um stories about um that was just so full of um pathos like the it was about the dead starlight it was something about oh darn it i'm flipping through the book chaps but i can't never mind Um, it's in this one but um what was your was was did you get any surprises or were you was it material for life or for writing or it was it was actually a really great reading there's a um woman named Jessica Crispin who has a great she used to run a website and now has a magazine called Spolia uh um and she uh reads tarot cards for writers um and so what she does is she asks you to think about a project, or maybe a fictional a piece of fiction, whatever you're working on writing-wise. And then she does a reading for you, which is about you as a, as a writer. That was a ton of fun. It was really great. She gave me a lot of background, did a tiny bit of star chart stuff, um, date of birth. Uh, and really the only takeaway that I, I, I came out with that I, I remember at this point was she said, this is a good period in your life for you. You should be lying on a sofa and saying, bring me my champagne. <laughs> and so I told that to my husband. And so, Gavin. Gavin. <laughs> and sometimes now at night, I'll lie on the couch and he will say, do you want me to bring you your champagne? <laughs> but I actually like Or a it. small beer. <laughs> I, I like gin and tonics better. Oh, I like not just oh. a gin and tonic. <laughs> yes. Thank you for asking. Yes. Oh, so how did you guys come up with Small Beer Press and will gin and tonic be next? Oh, it should be. Um, small beer is slang, sort of English slang for um, small, it's like small potatoes. And it comes from the stuff that people used to brew and keep for themselves because it was maybe not quite as good. A lighter a alcohol weak. content, yeah. definitely. Yeah, there are a couple yeah. of different meanings for it. So it's, um, I don't. You know, I think he he liked it as as a name for the press, and so we 
called the press that. And at some point we will have to do a book on beer because so many people ask, do you publish books about beer? And we have to say, no, not yet. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there was a time when I was trying to write a cycle of beer poems. So (laughs) how many did you get? How many? Yeah. It was just like the flocculating yeast, yada, you know, I don't know. It wasn't. (laughs) Sounds great. This is amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Kelly, you're obviously delirious after a long book tour. <laughs> I just, I don't know anybody who's done that. And I think it would be really, really great. Well, maybe, okay. Well, yeah. I feel heartened. I will. I will. I'll add that to my donkey poems. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. But, um, but back, back to um, get in trouble a little bit. Um, what's the most, what would you say? What was the story that when you were um, in it? Because I loved how you described the sort of your resistance to getting into the story and the mm. world. Like, which one were you in the longest, for whatever reason? Uh, the story that took the longest um, was a story called "I Can See Right Through You," uh, which the there's a lot of jumping around in time at the start of the story, and I knew where I wanted to go at the end, but I had a really hard time getting the relationship between the the two main characters right. So I wrote maybe 12 different versions of the first seven pages. And and then at a certain point, it clicked. Uh, But it took a year and a half. And with that, do you have other stories that are also kind of going on in different ways? Or are you really in the world of this one I really I really just kept on coming back to to that story I may have started one other thing uh, I may have written one other story during that period but mostly I was just really uh, angry at the and at, at I can see right through I thought I just or angry I don't know if I was angry at the story myself I just would come back to it and I'd think this is none of these starts is, is the right start and so I tinkered a lot with the language in the first seven pages made minuscule changes and then I'd try and push the story forward and then I'd go back and make more minuscule changes to the the opening again would it be was it necessary to keep jumping through time like because because it yeah. sounds also like you tr- okay why uh well I, I think because well it's a story about um two people who are in a movie uh you know 20 years 25 years earlier and um, one's a vampire. One they 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 played and or, he, or played he in a fact, vampire. <laughs> he still plays the vampire in the in the movie. There's been a series of movies now, uh, and it's kind of stuck in this this role. Um, and I wanted, um, I think, because it's a story about you know somebody being stuck. It seemed fun to write the beginning, sort of pulling from all these different time periods in his life. And during during the relationship, and especially because it's a, kind of a story about a, it's it's you know in some ways it is a vampire story, um, and so again if you're I, I feel like if you're a vampire if you've been around for three hundred years your memory process has got to be really strange mm-hmm. you know you're going to be thinking oh yeah like you know fifty years ago I had toast for breakfast but what was I eating, you know, in May 175 years ago, you know? So I feel like yeah. time would become very disjointed. And and I think you further disjoint it um, by calling, like this character is named, unlike in the Valley of the Girls where the protagonist yeah. is in it or so, but it's Will, but also first, I think, the demon lover. Yeah. And you don't, and you switch back and forth. 
But I'm betting there's also reasons when he's the demon lover and when he's not. Like if I was... He, he, I think whenever you're in his point of view, he thinks of himself as the demon lover again, because he's been stuck as this character for so long. And I think the first time that you get his name is from, from Maggie, his, Mm. his long ago, former girlfriend that was in the movie with him. Um, So I'm guessing that she in fact does not think of him because you wouldn't look at the guy that you were in a movie with and had a relationship with and then have known for a long time and think, oh, yeah, there's the demon lover again. Yeah. But he has sort so, of self-mythologized himself. Yes. And yeah. some got maybe some... He's got a something happening by the end of the story. Yeah. Well, all the way through. Well, yeah. we, won't, we yeah. won't say, but <laughs> it's another one of those unsettling endings. <laughs> I, was, I was really happy when I got to the end of that story. So happy. I knew where I, I knew where I wanted to do with the the last line of that story yes. in which you think this guy never learns like this guy his focus is really on the wrong thing again that last line I sort of got to the end I thought I know what the last sentence is when did you get the, oh was oh when right you got the there oh, yeah. you knew it yeah yeah do you want to say what it is um sure so so over the course of the story something really bad happens and you know, this is a guy who's been trying to reinvent himself. He thinks, you know, I need to find something that that will will define me. Um, and so this really major thing happens, which um, is probably going to define, you know, the story of his life or sort of the stories about him that will go on. And so at the end of the story, he, he imagines um, somebody will probably make a movie about this thing that just happened. And then he thinks, but I will be too old to play myself. <laughs> Which is the problem that he started out with, really, is that he's really too old for the role that he's having to play. And so these, and actually, so when you're saying this, you're describing it, it's very, these are like, this is like some human tragedy here that people play out in their lives. And you've got these elements of fantasy or perhaps even time travel or vampire, but it's something that's human. And that, I mean, that story, one of the things that that story came out with was, I really liked Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I enjoyed it a ton. And at some point recently, I read an interview with um, James Marsden, who played Spike. And he said that when when the show ended, um, that there was talk that there might be a movie. And he said to Joss Whedon, you have about seven years before I will be too old to play Spike. And I thought, oh, man, that's really weird. You know, it's weird to think, you know, that you're, there's a time limit. There's an expiration date on that character for you. And they didn't do it, did they? No. Oh. Uh-uh. Well. Hmm. Well, we won't end on that note, will we, <laughs> Kelly? No. It's been so lovely to talk with you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Please come back anytime. I will. And and we'll we'll talk more about Florida. No, just kidding. <laughs> We'll talk. We'll talk about the next collection. Or do you have a novel in the works too? I sold a novel to Random House, so I have to write it. It will be a haunted house novel. So it makes sense. We talked about Shirley Jackson today too. Thanks so much, Kelly Link. Thank you. My pleasure. You've been listening to Living Writers. I'm T Hetzel. Until next time. I can do the frug I can do the robocop I can do the Freddy I cannot do the smirk 
And I can do the freak I can do the Robocop I can do the Freddy I cannot do the Smurf And I can watch TV I can shuffle off to Buffalo I can do a back Wow, that's very loud. My goodness. All right. So we didn't have any chance to uh, test the mics here, so bear with me. So good afternoon. Good, I guess, Wednesday evening to y'all. Listen to the Daily Sports Report on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. 88.3 on your dial here on the University of Michigan's campus. I'm your host, David Carlson. On the other side of the glass, Dennis Dahlman, Morris Fabry, Ryan Scandal, and Jeff Chan. So, guys. The first two Tiger games are in the books, uh, 